Well, what a tremendous preparation in worship for John's rendition of Palm Sunday. Um, God is in this house, and, uh, and, uh, and, and, and he has given us a family, and that's, that's the sense that we want to see. We want to look at the multitude this morning. Now, remember where we are textually. Each, each uh, week, I give you uh, an idea of the context of where we are in the exposition of the Gospel of John. Remember that in the first part of John, in the first uh, um, 11 and a half chapters, um, the, the sign of who Christ is eternally comes through what he says and what he does. That is his many miracles. And, and the capstone miracle uh, really comes in chapter 11 when he raises Lazarus from the dead. That, that's most precisely uh, uh, um, reminiscent of what he does in all of our lives, especially after we die. Okay. With that, then, there's an abrupt change in the gospel. And from now on in the gospel, the eternity of Christ will not be seen through what he does, but what others do to him. They will come through others to him. Now, the first uh, look that we had of that was in the first part of uh, uh, this chapter uh, 12 of John, where we saw this private party, this dinner party for Jesus at the home of Simon the leper. Remember, Lazarus was there. The risen Lazarus was there. And, and Jesus was anointed by those who knew him best. Now, in the second part of this chapter, we go from private to public. We go from the, 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 sm the smaller group that knows him to the multitude that really doesn't know him as well as they think they do. And then we see what comes through them. Now, as we read this, we're going to see, um, um, and by the way, we're, we're, because there's so many verses involved here, I can't go verse by verse because it would take too long. So I'm going to go section by section. I'm going to give you characteristics of what to look for. And then as you go back and read this word for yourself, uh, you will have hopefully a, a better understanding of what this word really says. The first one is a look at the crowd. After, after Lazarus is raised, all kinds of people come to Jesus. Now, the first response of the, of the authorities is we, they want to kill Lazarus. <laughs> they want to do away with the evidence. And, and, but, but here comes Jesus to Jerusalem. It says in John 12, 12, on the next day, the great multitude had come to the feast and they had heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. And they start the, 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 the Palm Sunday um, processional, the triumphal entry. And, and it says, it gives a picture of, of these folks who don't fully comprehend what they're doing. They're doing the right thing, but they can't fully comprehend it because they're limited. And for example, in verse 12, it says this, even the, of the disciples. I'm sorry, verse uh, um, 16. These things the disciples did not understand at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things were written of him and that they had done these things to him. You know, what we do here in this place is a wonderful thing and wonderfully accurate, but we don't have any comprehension of just how significant it is because we're so limited in our ability to comprehend. Sometimes even what we do isn't all that accurate. I, I, can, can I just be humble enough to say to you, I'm sure uh, that a portion of what I tell you is wrong. It's not, yeah, I don't want it to be wrong, but I just know I'm a limited person. And, and I don't know all of Jesus I want to know yet. 
Somebody once said, some wise man once said, you know, probably 20% of what I, what I believe is wrong. Problem is, I don't know which 20% it is. <laughs> well, all of us have limitations. The crowd had limitations that day. And the, and the limitation was this, that they were doing the right thing, but they didn't have a full comprehension and wouldn't until later. But with all of their limitations, there were basically three categories of people in this crowd. And, 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 and we have many more categories here, but we have at least these three categories here. So let's go down to the categories. We love categorizing, don't we? Yes. There's only two, two types of people, one who love to categorize and one who don't like to categorize it. So, so first one is the multitude who just are so helpful. It says in verse... Um, Um, 17. So the multitude who were with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead were bearing him witness. One of the reasons I suspect that you come to church, and and I want to acknowledge here, I know those of you who are still here overcome all kinds of barriers to get in this place. I meet people all the time in the community saying, I, I just, I love Northern. I just couldn't fight it any longer. There's too many hurdles, you know. And they were all beat up and worn out. I said, oh, that's, as long as they're in the church, that's great. It doesn't matter. But, but you're the sturdy ones. You know, you're the ones that have overcome the traffic and the crowd and you're here. And I got this question, why? <laughs> because there's something that helps you worship where you can't, you can't get it by yourself. And, and, and part of what helps you worship is in this place, there are people who love Jesus. And you know they love Jesus. And, they, they, and, and, and so there's this, there's, this, there's this spirit of kinship, you know. You, 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 you probably don't even know the person beside you, but when you hear them worshiping, boy, your spirit worships. You can see Jesus better because of them. And you just sense this close, it's not explainable, it's close um, uh, closeness to them, this, this kinship. Um, uh, let, me, let me tell you about a book I'm reading. I'm reading a book called Cheating Monkeys and, and Citizen Bees. It's a, I love this book. It's a book about uh, how animals cooperate. Um, it's, it's really a, 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 it's a collaboration of, uh, of uh, evolutionary bi- biology and um, um, anthropology. Now, let me, let me be very, this book was written by a believer. It's, it's published by Harvard, Harvard Press, but it's written by a believer. And this believer is not so uh, simplistic as to, um, to really believe that you can take animals and apply it to people. Same principle, you know, because people are just animals after all. No, 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 no. Uh, he's not that simplistic. But he says there's some things that people could probably look at among animals and maybe get some ideas. And, 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 and he talks about the four forms of cooperation that animals have. The first form is, is and I'm, not gonna go with, I'm just going to name one. First form is a, there's, there's this innate closeness to people who are blood together. And by the way, we are blood together. Anybody who is in Jesus Christ is in blood together. We are in his blood together. So we're blood. And so... So he goes down through and he says, you know, and he goes down to different categories. He says this. He says, you know, in, in Kenya, Africa, there is a certain kind of bird uh, called a bee eater bird. And, and, and in, in these groups of birds, there are birds that produce uh, offspring. And there are birds that don't ever produce offspring. They're called nest helpers. 
and they hang around the nest, even though they don't have children of their own, to help these children grow up, these little baby birds. Problem is, there's so many baby birds, they can't help all of them. And so observers have observed which of the bee-eater nest helpers help which of the baby birds. Okay, you with me so far? <laughs> there is a point to this. 94% of the time, these birds who would have no idea who they're helping, help those who are closest blood kin to them. This is just innate. Then, they go, then he goes to an anthropological example. He says, in Venezuela, there is a tribe. Maybe you have heard of them. They are the Yanomomo tribe. You, have a, you wouldn't hear them by that name. They are called the fierce people. Isn't that cool? Oh, yeah. Every man in here would like to belong to that tribe. Yeah. The fierce people. And they, they're called that because they fight all the time. All the time. Especially with people of other tribes, but sometimes in their own tribe. They are so fierce. But there is only one group of people that they will not fight. As a matter of fact, they will die to protect. And that is their closest blood relatives. They are, there's something about that kinship that brings out the best in them, the most sacrificial in them. There is that in our culture too. Um, those of you who have read about the incidents of, of, uh, of uh, um, domestic violence, uh, especially child abuse. You, you have read these figures. You will know that a child is a hundred times more likely to suffer child abuse in the home of one biological parent and one step-parent than two biological parents. Now, now please don't rush to any conclusions on that. I, I was raised most of my life by a single mother, but she, she did marry eventually my stepdad, who was the kindest most merciful, most wonderful man. And so step-parents can be wonderful. But there is this sense, there is this link to kinship that brings out the best in us and the most protective of us. When you come into this group, you will sense that there are people here who just love Jesus and there's, some, there's something about them that brings out the best in you. Brings out the most mature, the most sacrificial, the most uh, worshipful. All right, that's one category. Now, there's another category in here. And that was the category of the Greeks. In chapter 20, in verse 20, it says this. Now, there were certain Greeks among those who were going up to worship at the feast. These, therefore, came to Philip. Philip was a disciple, but he had a Greek name. You know, it's kind of like, hey, we're Greeks, right? You know, so you go to the one most like you. And then they said this, sir, we would see Jesus. Now, let me tell you what's happening here. The Greeks are coming from outside Jerusalem, from a different culture, yet they are believing intellectually and they're, they're wanting to understand intellectually, but their understanding that intellect won't do it. They got to get near him. They got to experience it. There are people in this congregation who are intellectually oriented. As a matter of fact, we have a very large contingent here, a large mix of those folks. And that may, you may, that may stimulate your faith or that may intimidate you. Uh, sometimes it, it depends on the person, but it can do either one for me. 
uh, I, I do get a little bit intimidated when I know that I'm talking to a very, very bright person. And I'm getting, more, I'm getting more intimidated as time goes along. And I realize how many of our young people are so much smarter than I am. It is intimidating. It really is. It's, it's, and, and, and they are. They're learning stuff that we never learned. And we don't have a clue. Um, I, I, this takes place in my home. My young son's like this. I, he's in pre-med. And, and the other day we were sitting around the dinner table and, and somebody, we were talking about this lady that had her gallbladder extracted and she had lost weight, not from the operation, but from the change in metabolism. I said, Joel, what would cause that? He went into this like five minute diatribe about the enzyme reactions and the chemical breakdowns. And I didn't understand a word he was saying. I didn't, I just, I, and I, but I kept going, oh, oh, oh. you know, I didn't want him to know. I didn't want him to know. I, I, I saw, um, I read in, a, in Harper's Magazine some time ago, uh, there, is a, uh, there was a, a general cleanup of nuclear waste around a specific, uh, a specific area. I think it was this, this was in like New Jersey or someplace. But it was prompted because of a, a particular event. This kid, 17 years old, was in the Boy Scouts and wanted to earn a merit badge. Now listen to this. Wanted to earn a merit badge, and so he built a small functioning nuclear reactor in his mother's potting shed. He somehow find the, found the materials. This is what caused the, the prompted the cleanup. Uh, f- somehow found, found the materials. He, he, he first built, uh, if I can remember this correctly, a radium and, a, and an americium uh, neutron gun. And then he made um, out of... Um, uh, a tissue, uh, it's, an, it's an element, a, um, a, a small um, um, nuclear booster reactor. And then he built this, this blanket of energy, um, um, home refined blanket of energy uh, of uh, uh, thorium and uranium and put together this small breeder reactant in his mother's tool shed. Well, he got a merit badge. <laughs> In atomic energy, you know? And I'm sitting there thinking, boy, I have a, I'm having a good day if I can put a word together in my alphabet soup. You know, I'm thinking, <laughs> I'm thinking, boy, I've really got something here. Cat, I found cat in here. Well, the point is that there were intellectuals in the crowd and, and God mixed them in, intellectuals who knew enough to know they couldn't get there just with this. You can't get there just out of your natural reason. There has to be a spiritual relationship. There has to be a presence in your life. Nevertheless, they were part of that crowd. And when you come here, you're going to find people uh, that, that are, are pretty smart. And they may, that may intimidate you or that may really stimulate you, but that's just part of the crowd. And that's what God uses. Then the third category was the, and, and there's, again, many more categories than this. But the third category are, you know, the typical uh, and they're represented by the Pharisees. They're just kind of the immature boogerhead, always looking on a negative. Um, um, and it's in verse 19. They're always, they're always fighting about something. And they're usually fighting each other. Uh, uh, people who quarrel attract one another. Have you noticed that? And we haven't got very, we haven't got very many here, but there are, there are people who just like to argue. Uh, there's an old saying that, that there are some people who just love to argue so much they can't take yes for an answer. And, 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 so, and, 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 and so here are these Pharisees who, it says in here, 
They said, therefore, to one another, you see that you are not doing any good. Look, the whole world's gone after him. They're blaming one another. Well, there is, and, and we're, in this culture, we're raised to have this. I'm reading Leonard Sweet's latest book right now. And it's called Soul Salsa. Leonard's a very educated man. PhD, very educated. And he said, my whole educational career has taught me to be critical. I mean, I majored in criticism. That's what, that's what, that's what they teach you. And they teach you to, to minor in taking a stand. He said, celebration was no part of the curriculum. Never was taught to celebrate anything. Always was taught to be very suspicious, very uh, skeptical. Well, all of us are taught like that, aren't we? And so, and so we come out like that. And so when it, comes to, when it comes to religion, we're not too sure about this, but we're sure about the part we can use. When we first come to the faith, we come so that it will benefit us. And somehow we'll get something out of it. And that's where the Pharisees were. They didn't want to buy the whole thing. They just wanted the part that would benefit them. And we have those folks here. And they're not evil. I mean, we're all sinners. That's why we're here. Uh, but they're just not very far on the maturity level. I, I, I love the story of the two little kids. This was emailed to us this week. Um, two little kids. Uh, Kevin and Ryan, five and three, uh, and, and their mom is, is, is making them pancakes one morning. And, and she just has a little old griddle there, and so they're, they're both waiting, they're, and they're, of course, fighting, bickering with one another, and they're, they're hungry, and it's breakfast time. And so she says, boys, I want to tell you something. I, I just can serve one of you at a time here. There's not, I can't make you enough pancakes, so, both of them, so one of you is going to get your pancake before the other one does. Well, immediately they start fighting. Who gets the first pancake? And, and, so, and so the mother thinks, well, now this is a good time for a good moral lesson. And so she looks at him. She says, boys, if Jesus were here, Jesus would say, let my brother have the first pancake. So Kevin looks at Ryan and says, Ryan, you be Jesus. See, this, this religion stuff's okay if it benefits us. You know, we're all for it if it benefits us. And so there's, there's a section here that, that, that you know, kind of, I want to get my life together. I want to be improved and so on and so forth. And that's okay. They just haven't come up yet to the whole deal. Well, well we've got all of that. But the, but the point is that God uses all of that again and again. No matter where you are, God uses it. And so... And so the first part of this passage is how God puts a crowd together so that we can see Jesus better because of them. Then there's a section in this, starting with verse 23, where Jesus really explains who he is in reality. And they can't get it because they weren't expecting what he just described. First, he goes way deep when he begins with the line, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. And you've got to have special eyes attuned to what God wants rather than what you want in order to even get this. It, it reminds me of William Blake. William Blake was a profound poet. And, and sometimes authors ask themselves things so that they can kind of sharpen their, their, uh, their own intellect. And so he was asking himself, what would you say, what do you see when you see the sunrise? 
And of course, he started out answering himself. Well, I, I see uh, a fiery ball rising in the sky. And then, and then he went a little bit deeper and he says, no, I see the eternal rhythm uh, of, of light coming before. And then he said, no, I hear the innumerable heavenly host crying out, holy, holy, holy art thou, O God. You see, there is a sense in which you can go deeper until you are engaging all of yourself. And that's what Jesus does. He begins by saying, you know, a wheat seed really doesn't reproduce until it falls to the ground and dies. Unless a seed of wheat, grain of wheat, falls into the earth and dies, it remains itself alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. And then he goes on to espouse not the event, not just the event of the cross, but the philosophy of the cross. That of dying and losing yourself so that God can use you in a world of death. And then what happens is people don't expect it and don't get it. And so they speak from just the voice of the crowd, so to speak. Just, just what they have heard all along about religion. And when Jesus says plainly, um, after, after he says, uh, uh, um, and, and if I be lifted up from earth, I will draw all men to myself. And the Bible says specifically, he was saying this to indicate the kind of death by which he was to die on a cross, being lifted up on a cross. Well, they got enough to know that they objected. And they said this, the multitude therefore answered him, we have heard out of the law that the Christ was, is to remain forever. How can you say what you just said? There is this disparity, isn't there? When, we're, when we were uh, in worship, uh, the worship committee, Andy talked about um, his remembrance of a passage in one of Beekner's books. Friedrich Beekner is a wonderful Christian author. And I can't remember the name of the book, but I went back and reread this passage. It's a passage that kind of um, stirs some memories in me. Remember when you were going to school, college, you couldn't afford to, to go to the regular movie. I mean, most of us couldn't, couldn't do that and go to a regular movie. So what they had was movies either on the green or movies in the student auditorium, and they cost a quarter. And that was the kind you could afford to go to. And, and I, I, can, I can remember these. And, of course, you had all kinds of reaction. from. There, it was a college crowd. And so they're always shouting reaction to the movies. You know, I can remember going uh, to see um, uh, Alfred Hitchcock's The Birds when it first came out. And there had been students who had seen that movie so many times that they were shouting what would happen next. And, and everybody was applauding. Ooh, you know, watch out. Here comes another bird. He's going to land on the line. Sure enough, another bird is coming. Watch out. Now there's three. So anyhow, they were just a lot of fun. Well, in this particular uh, event, in this particular night, they were showing a, a movie, La Dolce Vita. I don't know how many of you remember that. It's an Italian film. And there's a scene in this film where they are transporting a life-size statue of Jesus by way of helicopter. The statue is tied underneath the helicopter. And the helicopter is flying this statue of Jesus. And, he's, and, and, and the scene is they're flying the statue of Jesus over farmland. And, 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 and you see the reaction, the, the, the cameras on the reaction of the crowd, and these farmers look up, and, they, and you know, Italian are friendly people, and they're waving at the helicopters, and then they see it's Jesus. 
And they start and they start jumping and shouting and they're running along and waving. You know, they got this, you know, this kinship there. Then it goes straight to a scene of just the opposite. It flies over a pool where young girls are laying out in bikinis. Now, it just so happens that the pilots of this helicopter probably are not Christian. (laughs) Because the helicopter goes over, turns around, and comes back. (laughs) And hovers with this statue of Jesus hanging over this pool with these young women in bathing suits, and the guys are trying to shout for phone numbers over the, over the noise. And of course, the whole crowd is just laughing. I mean, the whole, everybody who's seen this movie is laughing, shouting, you know, at the disparity of this. And then the, the, the helicopter goes on. And just for a moment, there is the focus on the statuesque face of Jesus. And Beekner said the whole crowd was immediately quiet. Why? Because all of us want to see Jesus. That's what we want. And we want it that's different than what we expected from man's religion. But watch this, not excluding our brothers and sisters including them. Why was it that Jesus said, I got to die? The the God that you thought was so perfect is so perfect that he will die to include all of you. Let me give you just a little picture of that. This weekend, Becky and I went to a, uh, a performance, a dance performance by a local repertory theater. And, uh, and I, I, I can't remember, Sharon, I can't remember the name. It used to be Julia's School of Dance. It's now the Central Christian, what is it? Do you know? It's still Julia's School of Dance? Okay. Uh, anyhow, there's this, they, they do a recital once a year. And, and Beck and I went this year. It was marvelous. I mean, I mean kids from, from the ages of two and three to, <laughs> I've got to be careful here. Early 30s, I'd say. Uh, but all levels of skill, wonderful performance. I mean, really astounding for a local company. It was very, very well done. And we were very moved by watching just number after number. It's all the Christian music. It's all, uh, it's all just a part of worship. And, and, and so we were very moved. But I tell you what made it for us. And that is that there was a number that they included handicapped children and, and learning disabled children. And you could tell that they had worked with these children for weeks on end. As a matter of fact, the dancers, many of the dancers in the company took personal responsibility to work with a kid themselves for weeks and weeks and weeks so that those handicapped children could have exact same opportunity to perform that everybody else had. And that made it perfect. It wasn't the skill itself. It was the inclusion of everyone. And that's what God was saying through Christ. It's not the kind of God that you expected. It's the kind of God that you needed. Unless you can see God through the people 
that He's given you exactly like they are, you'll never really see God. If you can only see God through your expectations and who you hope people would be, you'll never really see God. And so Jesus goes into this passage about how important it is that he died. And some of them get it and some of them don't. But then he goes into the last section. And the last section really starts with verse, uh, the, the last part of verse 36. And he's talking about those who are blind and those who can see. And, and he comes up to this just last voice about how when you see him, you don't really see him, just him, you see the Father. What do you, what do you see when you see each other? Do, do you see just a person? Or do you see family? Do you see just what someone else is doing? Or do you see what God has given you as, as, as someone to draw you closer to him? This is what Jesus says. He who believes in me does not believe in me, but in him who sent me. And he who beholds me beholds the one who sent me. And then in verse 49, it says this, For I did not speak on my own initiative, but the Father himself who sent me has given me, uh, has given me commandment what to say, what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. This is the link. He's saying, you don't need to hear more content. You need to hear me. And you need to hear that the Father is coming through me. You need the relationship. Therefore, the things I speak, I speak just as the Father has told me. Let me tell you one more story, and then we're going to have just a little bit more worship, just so that we can focus on Christ and see Jesus. This is supposedly a true story. I love this story. Happened in Lubbock, Texas. I think at Texas Tech University. They were t- the, these students in this class were taking final examinations of a notoriously difficult logic uh, course. This professor had a reputation of being very difficult and giving especially difficult finals. So all of the students were immediately intimidated. He knew they were intimidated. He knew he was tough. As a matter of fact, he knew this final test was almost impossible. And so he said, I'm going to give you a break. He said... Everything you can get, you can bring in an eight and a half by 11 sheet of paper and everything you can get on that paper, you can bring into the final examination with you. So practically every student in that class wrote, I mean, exactly what I'd do, exactly what most of you would do, wrote as tiny as they could on on an eight and a half by 11 sheet of paper so they could get as much content on there as they possibly could get on there. And the day of the final, they brought it in with them. Now, I said practically every student. There was one who was just a little bit smarter than the rest. He brought in his eight and a half by 11 sheet of paper and put it down on the floor beside his desk and then called in an advanced student in logic whom he had recruited for this purpose (laughs) and stood him on that eight and a half by 11 sheet of paper. (laughs) The professor allowed it because it was logically consistent with his instructions. (laughs) And all during that test, that advanced student just whispered the answers in his ear the whole hour. (laughs) Folks, we don't need content. We need a person. We need Jesus Christ. We need to see Jesus. Pray with me. God, thank you that you did not send 
even more rules to explain the Ten Commandments that you did send. Thank you that you did not give us more information or more content. Thank you that you gave us Jesus Christ to look at, to have in our lives today, alive now. And thank you further that you surrounded us with people who would stimulate us to look at him. We thank you for the people who who are so heartfelt worshiping you because that helps us. Thank you for those who are searching so hard to find you. That helps us. Thank you even for the cantankerous ones. That also helps us. Lord, help us through them to see Jesus.